Hello, and welcome to VentureCast. I am David Hornick. And I am Howard Hartenbaum, <laughs> both of us from August Capital. Oh yeah, I didn't say that this time. Oh my goodness. for you. No wonder you gave me a look like, David, where are we from? We are from August Capital. And here we are. This is a Friday afternoon, uh, what, the first week of August. And I would say that Sand Hill Road, like if you wanted to steal stuff from people's offices. <laughs> I sent a bunch of emails today to VCs for various reasons, and 100% of them came back, I'm traveling until August 11th. <laughs> what, is, what are we doing wrong here? We, this is obviously our problem, not the rest of the venture business problem. Unless you actually think we're working right now. Well, this is working, isn't it? <laughs> we said, you don't think so. Let's do VentureCast. You were working, and I came in and said, we had that VentureCast, and your answer was, hey, now I don't have to work. You know, I've been surprised. People, I've talked to an increasingly large number of people who say, hey, I listen to VentureCast, and I appreciate it, and, you know, do more VentureCast. So, no, we are going to call this work. So we, we need to do some kind of... Um, compensation marketing program where like if you get a hundred people to listen to VentureCast we give you a free a bas- fruit basket fruit basket <laughs> what would we do we'd have to give you a term sheet or something you know what I got so I got an email we'll give you a lesson on term sheets totally were you were we you- will help you negotiate your next term sheet with a VC on the other side <laughs> you just can't mention that we're like the ghost negotiators because that would be very bad uh, although actually I'll tell you when I think about these term sheets, I actually I think that we would be good sounding boards because at the end of the day, we give these super clean term sheets because we don't think that all these dumb terms are actually that beneficial in an early stage term sheet, right? So we could give them all the arguments and then be, oh, no, people are going to use it against you. No, we give these term sheets, right? We don't believe, you know, Series A deal with multiple preference or whatever is just stupid because then when you raise $100 million, it, it that $100 million get gets it as well or whatever. So Well, the most common term, maybe half the VCs do, are these exploding term sheets where yeah. the entrepreneur gets it and it says, we would like to invest in your company this much money at this much valuation. You have 24 hours to decide. And my reaction to that is, like, a gun to the head model doesn't work too good. And yeah. if they really want to invest in you, you can take all the time you want. And if you <laughs> so I agree with that 100%. Yeah. And it's like, you know, we've talked a lot about this dating marriage, you know, thing. But it's like, um, hi, Pamela, I have this ring and I'd like you to marry me. Um, answer now! <laughs> Hurry up. Now, it turns out, actually, usually by the time you're... Because I'm going to give this ring to somebody else yeah. if you don't. <laughs> I'm going to take it back and I'm going to keep the ring. You know, it's just a weird dynamic. And I agree with you completely that when a VC gives you a term sheet, then they'll wait. I mean, maybe... maybe I guess it doesn't matter to us. It's not because we don't give exploding term sheets. So the reality is when someone says we want to invest in you, they have just spent the whole year trying to find some company they like enough to give a term sheet and you are the one. And then they say, you better decide in 24 hours. If you say, you know what I need? 48, they'll go, okay. <laughs> if you say, I need seven more days, they'll say, okay. If you say, I need a month and a half, then they'll say, well, really, why would you need a month and a half? So... I think you have a fair amount of flexibility there. I got a good uh, Ben Narison story. <laughs> oh, yeah? <laughs> this is a shout-out to Ben Narison today at Triple Point. <laughs> ben is a funny guy, and I, I, I'd consider Ben a friend, and we get together for lunch now and then and, and hang out. And Last time I, I met up with him at Madeira, and he was telling me about his new fund he's raising and how exciting it is, and 
he said, you know, Howard, would you like to invest in the fund? And I said, well, Ben, you want to send me some deals? And he said, oh, yeah, you know, whatever a new deal comes in, you're like top of my list. And I break it to you. I'm like, yeah, okay, great, you know. And so the other day, I had a, um, I'm a mentor for one of the Stardex companies. Yep. And I'll leave the name out. And it's a wonderful company. And the deal with Stardex that I have as a mentor is if they raise money during the time I'm mentoring, which is like six weeks, that August doesn't become the one that's trying to win the deal. So it's not a during that time period. Gotcha. <clears throat> so you're supposed to not do it. I'm supposed to You're supposed to, to say, I'm actually just here to help you. Yeah. I'm not going to troll you to constantly, hey, take my money. Yeah. Take my money. Here's some advice. Take no, I don't like money. you. Get out of here. So the goal is really to mentor. So That's the awesome. Com- the company comes in and they say, yeah, you know, we had a meeting with this guy, Ben Narison. And in the middle of the meeting, Ben jumped up and said, I've been looking for this company for six years. I want to fund you. Get in the back of my car. I'm driving you over to NEA. What? And I'm thinking, well, why is he driving him over to me? <laughs> well, also, like, what is that? Like, I want to fund you. Come meet some other people. Well, they need more money than he can offer. <laughs> oh, so okay. he, he said, they put me in the back of the car. They drive me over. He calls Scott Sandell on the phone, and he's talking to, you know, Scott, they can put your partners together. I'm bringing you a deal. And, like, literally Does that work? Like, <laughs> and he did. He, like, put together. They pitched him. At the end of the pitch, Scott was like, yeah, I want to fund you. Wow. And I and so then, then their question comes to me, like, well... What do you think about Scott? I said, Scott's an awesome guy. He's well respected. He's a professional guy. He's no bullshit. You know. I'm, so I'm like the VC. Like their company is pretty interesting. I'll tell you what it is later. Yeah, but this. So this is. But it was funny because no, no, let me finish. Yeah. Then I just don't mess with Ben. I said Ben to Zebo. I said, Hey Ben, I, I hear you uh, met with this uh, company X Y Z. And then I get back this email from Ben. Did you say nice things about me? <laughs> so I think you're missing the point. My email was not really about you. It was so about ben, me. It was about me. So ben, now Ben knows. Like, and I said, I'm a mentor to this company. I'm helping them decide how to do their financing. I'm advising <laughs> them. And Ben's like, you know what? You're my favorite. And I want to send you deals. And I'm thinking, I know you drove them over to NDA. It was kind of funny. Yeah. Scott's a lovely man. But, yeah. you know. But what about you, Howard? You're, you know, you're you're a lovely man as well. I, I mean, I'm a man of my word, and the deal with Stardex is I wouldn't. It is a tr- but so this is the one instance where that's tricky, right? Which is okay, great. I wouldn't I, have met them if it wasn't for Stardex in this case. Too. I agree that in the end, you don't want the mentor saying, "Hey, take my money. Hey, take my yeah. money." But it seems to me that if someone else says, hey, let me fund you, that the mentor should have the opportunity to say, you know what, I would like to fund you as well, right? So it's not you, you know, you're you're not sitting there constantly pressuring them. But if you're giving a good advice and being helpful or whatever, and then someone says, I want to give you money, why should you be in a position where you say, oh, yeah, I can't, because maybe can't I'm fund better. you? We, yeah, I mean, you would be better, right? I mean, there isn't any question. If we were excited about the deal and these guys know you, whatever else, it seems to me like they should have the opportunity to say, hey, here's this thing, but are you interested, right? I mean, it's, this isn't anything new. Both of us have gotten these calls where we've helped people, whatever. You've had one quite recently where you had been very helpful to a set of people, to this particular company, over time, not because you had anything in it, but just because you liked the team and you were trying to be helpful. And then they hit on something that was sufficiently interesting that people started saying, hey, are you interested in funding us? And that guy came to us and came to you and said, 
do you want to fund the company yeah. given that there's this interest, right? Yeah. That seems to me like how it should work, right? So creating this impediment to it, I get the purpose of it. But again, this is like, the, you know, this is the lawyer in me. At the end of the day, laws have purpose. And so there are, you know, you can be a technocrat and apply it that way, or you can understand the, the, the reason for the law and then... Accordingly, I think you should have a right to do the deal. Well, I think in, in this case, <laughs> considering, you know, they, in a matter of a day or two, and then they met somebody else and had two term sheets, and I was there asking wow. them, like, what should I do? And this, I'll tell you what they do later. It's, it's yeah. somewhat interesting. Hey, all you listening, he's not telling you what they yeah, do. No, but no, try, I, I gave take my his, but mark, my, mark his words. It's interesting. My, my, <laughs> my feeling is, too, if I'm helpful to them, they'll come back next time. Or yep. they'll tell their buddies, like, hey, he was fair, he didn't tell anybody, you know, he was helpful, he helped me pick the right guy to invest, and Ben just wants to make sure it's him. <laughs> but I think, you know, this is honestly, you've you've just described our philosophy, right? And there are others, there are others in the venture business often who get a bad rap, probably earned because that's not their view. They get very sharp elbows, right? As these things become proprietary and it's harder to find great deals or whatever, then people sort of like, me, 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 step aside. This is my opportunity. Uh, I, I heard a, an, an instance of this with a very well-known investor who got introduced to a deal by someone and then he proceeded to elbow them out of the deal. And that's just unbelievable. Now, in this instance, I give credit to the, to the entrepreneurs because because when the investor said, like, hey, okay, we really need to do this and we don't have room, the the founder said, well, wait, no, <laughs> time out. You know, we, we started with this guy. We really like him. And so let's figure out how to make it work. And then this sharp-elbowed investor didn't really have a choice, right? But there are some who think that, you know, that, that our view, which is, very long long term and it'll all be fine is being short-sighted i just think they're wrong yeah but i also think that you and i intend to be in the venture business for 30 years right and so i hope to be alive 30 years how old are you howard 48 you'll be alive I hope so. You don't think you'll be alive at 78? Medical science is getting better and better. 78? Do you, you don't even idea? need a bunch of medical science to get to 78. Do you have any idea how many beers I've drank and how many donuts I've eaten? <laughs> I actually don't, but you did live in Japan. <laughs> I may look this good on the outside, but I worry about what But you're very broken on the inside. No, uh, that's true. So do you think, how many years do you think uh, useful life was cut off of your liver from your time as a business person in Japan? <laughs> I think of it's like exercise. The more you do it, the longer you live. It's hard to know. I worry less about my life. I worry more about the brain cells that I killed. Oh, that's my not sleeping. It's like, you know, I keep hearing this, oh, you should sleep more. And I think, oh, who cares? But then I think, oh, though, apparently it kills a bunch of brain cells. And So is, so is the whole Japanese business culture thing a myth? Is it exaggerated? Or did you experience this? The go out after work with a group of people, drink heavily, and then, you know, go home, sleep a few hours, take a shower, come back, repeat. Yes. That was your experience? Well, I think it depends on, like, what type of business that you're in. If you're in a city or if you're in a manufacturing yeah. job. But, yes, for businessmen, pretty much. And I, I think it's more rooted in something that's it's not cultural. It's basically a result of bad tax law. That the taxes are very high 
but companies can spend a lot of money on entertainment of their employees that's non-taxable. So going out to drink with all your work buddies can be paid by the company non-taxable and you get a lower salary. So if you want to go out and have a nice dinner and drink, the company pays for it, you might as well go because you don't get that enough money to have that entertainment otherwise. So I think it's actually tax law drives it more than anything else. That's pretty crazy. And tax law was what drove you out of Japan, right? In the end, you had been there long enough that they were going to start taxing you as a Japanese citizen while you're being taxed as an American citizen. And you said, then I'll be making negative dollars. <laughs> that can't I love be my good. Job. Can I pay to keep it? <laughs> now, I did at one point say to my wife, I'd been at August for a little bit, and I said to Pamela, like, you know, I would pay to do this job. This is such an interesting job. I would pay to do this job. And this is why Pamela is a very good influence in my life. She said, never tell anyone that. That's not helpful. <laughs> Be quiet. I'm glad you enjoy your job. Would I pay to do this job? Yeah. I mean, would I pay to do so it's I an probably, opportunity cost. Like, I probably would, wouldn't pay to do this job. Would but I would you donate your time? I guess you... I would do it just for the upside you don't need the fees because if the upside works it dwarfs everything else so it doesn't matter but would I do it as a like volunteer thing where I got no financial upside from it no you're you? more financially driven than I am I think right? so yeah now on the other hand I do think that there are great things that one can do with money and so that's fine but I you know what I guess it depends on how much money I have and whether I could afford to do it at all. Right? You know, I have a bunch of kids who are going to go to college and all that stuff. So I'm, I'm not. I can't like not have a job. Um, but if I, if I didn't need the money, uh, I think this is a pretty compelling job, right? I think you meet really smart people, whatever. But there, but I will say that on those rare instances, you know. Maybe they're not rare instances. In those instances where we're sitting there struggling, we have a company that goes to raise money and it doesn't manage to raise money, and then you're trying to decide whether you fund it internally or not, and you know, I'd think to myself, this is not that much fun. <laughs> I should be paid for this part of the job because this is not fun. <laughs> yeah, and surprisingly, that happens. You know, companies that you have that you love and you give them money and they're working hard and they're making some progress, not all the progress you had hoped, rarely all the progress you had hoped. <laughs> Very often the companies are unable to raise their next round of financing from a new investor setting the price on the company. Yeah. And what percentage of time is that? How, what, what, how many, if you how have, many of the companies yeah, is get it a there? Third? I don't know. I wonder. It would be incredibly interesting to know not only what our percentage is, and it could well be a third of them, versus other venture firms. Are you know is our number higher or lower? Are there firms that you know there are? Look, Sequoia Capital has a reputation, which I don't know if it's earned or not, of that they would just say, oh well this didn't work and we're done and we're moving on, right? That their model is much more about, you know, either this drowning is the right person or isn't. Yeah, as you say, the drowning of the puppies. Uh, you know, which obviously in many instances that's worked fine, but maybe you, you know, maybe you end up with a company that, I, I always reach out, reach back to this company, Ebates, that we're investors in and I've been going to board meetings there for 14 years and you say, oh my God, 14 years, that's a long time. It was doing great in the beginning, and then they had to conserve cash or whatever, and it was not growing as quickly. And then, then some number of years ago, 
a new CEO came in, made a, big, a bunch of changes, and the company's been doing great ever since. And I can see lots of circumstances in which that kind of company you would have just cut off, right? It wouldn't have made it. You would have said, oh, well, sorry, there's no more money for you. And, you know, companies doing... Ebates was 4% of Black Friday last year, right? I mean, that according to Comscore. So that's... Obviously, it's scaled now, but we would have never, we would, we would have drowned the puppy before it grew up to be a lovely dog, you know, right? So I heard that Dick Kramlick, who's old school at NEA, always funds his companies up in like forever. And if it's not working, he gives them more money and brings in new management. And he just keeps doing that until it works or sells or whatever, but he doesn't shut companies down. Ever. Ever. Well, I mean, that's certainly one end of the that's spectrum, of, right? Yeah. We, I think we're, cl- truthfully, I think we are closer to that end of the spectrum than the al- the alternative, right? I mean, we are loath to say to our entrepreneurs, even when they don't manage to commit, it's a very important piece of the process to go out and spend time talking to investors and sharing your vision for the company, etc., because it's a clear measure of okay, is this a compelling business in the eyes of people who are not, you know, who aren't in the family? And so, it's always a great relief when my when the companies go out and they come back with a term sheet because you say, oh, good, it validates not just the company but that. There, that this opportunity makes sense and we're approaching it in a reasonable way, all that thing. So in the two-thirds of the time when that's the case, you say, oh, great, we're marching forward and things are good. In that instant, that one-third of the instances where that's not the case, then we have to sit there and say, the rest of the world, right? I have one company that's just been through this, met with, I don't know, 30, 30 different firms, right? All of whom, there were a couple that came quite close, all of whom in the end said no. And then you say, okay, well, why'd they say no? Are we being are we being foolish for thinking that what you're doing is still interesting and there's still some opportunity, whatever? And and smart investors should understand that there that you should never worry about sunk costs, right? That if you've invested four million or five million or ten million or whatever, it is what it is. It's gone. That's gone. Do that next three million bucks you put in, is that gonna create value or not? Right? And, and in general, when we go through that process or whatever, we are reminded of why we loved them in the first instance and why we think they're making good choices or whatever, and we put in that next amount of money, despite the fact that in many instances, we just lose an extra $3 million, right? So are we being dumb about it? or? So I was just thinking, since it does happen on regular occasion... What are the instances where we do put more money in, and what and are the works. instances? <laughs> no, no. Like, how how are we making that decision to do it, and how and and in those rare cases where we decide not to do it, and I, I would say in the cases that we do it, we still believe the market potential is there, and we think the founders are smart and careful with money and trying new things and not banging their head against the wall. And in the cases where we don't do it, which are rare, but I can think of a couple, the founders had proven there was no market there. Yeah. Like we, when we invested, they thought there was a market. We thought there was a market. They tried really hard. They built stuff. Nobody would buy it. So there is, now we had data just showing that there was no market there. Um, and in some cases, it's the founders, despite... Um, showing there's no market there or maybe there's some market there, they aren't 
flexible enough to try other things and yeah. make adjustments and like if things aren't working it doesn't always mean just keep doing the same thing no that's and, totally right I mean in fact I think that you've nailed it in the instances where we say hey it was a good effort I think it's mostly because the team is demonstrated that the that their current model is not going to be interesting and they have probably waited too long either they have they are not interested or don't have the flexibility or focus or whatever to change what they're doing or they just got to it too late and you look at it and go well I don't have enough data to determine whether that is going to be interesting or not I do know that the last thing we tried didn't work and we waited too long to get to the next thing right um, so but I, but so another big contributor is burn rate. And I can think of the conversations we've had when we have a company that's burning a million bucks a month and there's a lot left to be proven. It's a lot harder to put more money in because you know you put in $5 million and it's gone in three months. I yeah. mean, then you have to shut the company down. It's like, what are you really buying? And companies where their burn rate is 100, 200, 300K and you put in a few million dollars with co-investors and you buy a year or you buy a year and a half and at least you feel there's enough time for something to be proven. Yeah, no, it's a huge. It makes a huge difference, right? And I was at uh, I was in in Las Vegas last night at uh, so Tony Shea has this whole uh, downtown Vegas pr project that he's working on, and so there are a bunch of entrepreneurs who are moving there, and the and uh, and one of the things that's moved there is this tech cocktail, which is a very interesting program. Um, that's that's giving lots of information to entrepreneurs, etc. And so I, they had a, a talk and with three folks who who talked about entrepreneurship, and I was one of them. And I kind of did my shtick of you know this is hard and what. Um, but afterwards, I was introduced by Tony uh, to this entrepreneur who he's been working with, and he backed and her business is actually a very interesting business, and they have some really good information but the model is shifting and so the question is okay what do we do do we raise money now do we do this do we do that and I had exactly this conversation where Tony said to her so what are you you know because they have real revenue now what I said well what's the cost like what are you burning and it turns out that they're burning 75k a month right and that to be kind of shift her model maybe it increases the burn to 100k a month i said wow so if you, you know if you do a million dollar bridge you basically have the better part of a year of information about your new model or whatever that's amazing as opposed to put in a million dollars and have a quarter of information like a quarter of new information would be nothing it would be insignificant and would not be sufficient to get you to the information you need so um I do think that's tricky. On the other hand, I have a company right now that's burning you know, a, a lot of money that I'm excited about but will run out, and you kind of look at it and go, but if you didn't burn all this money, would it be, you know, would you be pursuing the opportunity in an appropriate way? But that's much higher stakes awesome poker. Awesome CEO in that company. <laughs> I know who you're talking about, but the burn rate scares me too. Oh, it scares me, but yeah. he's so good. So that helps. I don't know. Anyway... What else? What else do we want to talk about on this fine well, you, you summer? Made, you made a, a quick comment about, um, you, you know, you couldn't work for no income because you got an infinite number of children that need to go to college. <laughs> and on Monday, uh, I was in Boston um, with my younger daughter, and she, we went on tours of MIT and of Tufts. Cool. And 
she liked uh, MIT. She's into, into programming. I'm, I went there. I'm not so ex- sure I'm excited about her going yeah. there. It's kind of interesting. <laughs> but the Tufts tour was really interesting because uh, it was maybe 15, 10 people on our little tour group going around the campus, and the kids go in the front, and the parents are kind of in the back. And there was some grumpy guy who was one of the parents, and he starts grumbling to me. He goes, can you believe these college tours? They're telling the kids. It's the kids that need to make the decisions. Well, God damn it. I'm the one paying for it. They should be selling to me. I'm, I've got four kids. That's 250 kids, plus i got to pay taxes, and i got to earn a million eight hundred thousand dollars to send my kids to college. I don't think they should have a say in it. It should be my decision. Why aren't they selling to me? And I just turned around and walked away. Yeah, probably. You know, it's funny. So you were. So you're down. You're on the East Coast. I was uh, the last two days down in Southern California touring USC and UCLA with my son. And um, you know what's interesting to me? Actually, it's sort of amazing. It's a very clear message about where our economy is. Those campuses, like every campus that we have looked at now are building giant engineering buildings. There is not a campus in America right now that isn't currently, that has any resources that isn't currently building some giant engineering building, right? And you go to Stanford right here next door, they started early and they built four giant, they built a giant engineering quad and each of those buildings is named after some amazing entrepreneur. There's the Jerry Yang building, there's the whatever. And, you know, it's tough to be a liberal arts student these days. You, you know, you get there and it's sort of like, well, why are all these big buildings for programming? <laughs> I, I would like to study philosophy. There's some schools, uh, MIT, you get admitted and then you can take any major you want, including economics or philosophy, which are very few, yeah, right. or any engineering major. But many schools you apply... Uh, and UCLA is this way, and Berkeley is this way, and Tufts is this way. You apply to the engineering school, you apply to the arts and sciences school, and you can move from engineering to arts and sciences, but not the other way. Yeah, if you want to that's move weird. Into engineering, if you have to higher bar. Yeah, yeah, I think that's wrong. I think like you know so, but this is why. So this is my philosophy. I was just having this conversation with my with my son Noah as we were down at down in Southern California, and this or whatever. And he and he literally said to me like, okay, maybe I shouldn't do any of this. Maybe I should just do a startup. And then he also said, or maybe I'll be here, but I'll focus all my attention on building a startup while I'm in school. And I said to him, you're totally missing the point of college, like. To my mind, college is entirely about the people that you meet at college. And so if you do either of those things, you're completely missing out on this amazing moment in time when you can spend four years with these incredibly engaged, dynamic people your own age who you will know for the rest of your life, right? So so what would you do if your son who's in college came to you and said, Dad, I'm dropping out to start a company? How would you react to that? I would be very, very skeptical. <laughs> I have to say, despite the fact that we have funded people who have left school, and and uh, and I and I'm perfectly fine with people thinking that's that that's a reasonable choice for them to make. If it was my own kid, I would say, "What is the rush?" Now, maybe he comes to me and he says, "Okay," or she. I have one daughter, three boys, one one daughter. Uh, she comes to me and she says, here's this idea I have and I find it so compelling, whatever. And they're bad. The unfortunate thing for them is, like, I'm a VC. So I get to listen to the idea and go, 
Are you fucking kidding me? Like, that's a, not a good idea. Go back to school. And you know the odds. But, yeah, so we know it's unlikely to it's work. a great idea, the odds are still against But, it. so I suppose there's some possibility that it's that idea, that Skype idea or whatever, where you go... Snapchat. Wow, that's like unbelievable. Snapchat. You go, okay, that's unbelievable. Now, of course, you and I would have had no idea that Snapchat was a brilliant idea. But 99% of the time, I think, in my own head, I will say... You are going to have 100 years to live, and you're going to have 50 years to work in some capacity to do things that you're excited about or whatever. Go be a student. There is no rush. Right? All these people who thought it was a big rush, like, oh, the internet bubble was a rush, and then now there's a rush, whatever. Guess what? There will always be more economic engagement. There'll be another time when there's lots of opportunity and excitement and, and money to be made. But there will not be another chance to go meet this incredible group of students and uh, and find your best friends and find the people that you're, you know. And, and yeah, you can replicate that in other co- contexts, but I would say stay in school. What about you? I would feel the same way. Except We're such old launched, men. Unless they had launched a product that already had hyper growth on it, that'd be like take a leave of absence. I suppose that if that's the thing you do while you're in school and then it's working, yeah, then you kind of go, oh. Because look at the look at the guys who dropped out and succeeded. They all had something working before they did. Yeah, this idea that oh, you just drop out and build something. What I get? That was not Bill Gates. Gates sort of says like, oh my god, I can't believe you refer to me as a dropout when I'd finished three years of school and I'd basically finished all the requirements I needed at Harvard. Same thing with Zuckerberg. He spent some time. It's not like he didn't spend any time. He did drop out, but he had started a product within the context that of school and it was working. And yeah. then he's like, okay, I better you know go do this. Um, we had Sean Parker urging him along too. Yeah, he had some help. Yeah. Well, and then you know we've and we've backed companies with with professors, right? I mean that's a so then so you've got the student thing, and sure, I'm sure you can start a good company. There's a well, you know the Teal Fellows and all that, and but but in general, it sounds like we're aligned that life's long. You are going to meet people, and, and frankly, you're going to meet people who will be really helpful to you in building great businesses, right? Peter Teal himself met. You know Keith Raboys and and Reed Hoffman and all these guys at Stanford. He's busy trying to convince you not to go to Stanford. Meanwhile, he met all of his like closest compatriots while he was in school, right? So why discourage people from doing that? But anyway, now you're a professor, and you've got some, and your research yields some thing that you think is interesting, right? You, T- Teresa Meng, who started Atheros. She had been working on RF, and she kind of came and said, you know what, I think actually we can create a chip that'll move data through the air. What do you do? call that Wi-Fi. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. They now call it Wi-Fi, but guess what? At the time, there was no word for it because it was just like, oh, we could move data through the air. So then she, she has to take a leave of absence. Do you quit? Do you, like, that's a tricky question if you're a tenured professor, right? That's like... That's the holy grail. You get tenure. A guaranteed life of... Dealing with students. <laughs> <laughs> like it removes the risk factor. Yeah, and you have to say... I don't know, most schools, I think, allow you to take a leave of absence, right? So, But I think it's a mindset. I think that the amount of effort and it takes to become tenured and the drive towards doing it leads to a certain personality type that 
believes like that's the goal. And once you get there, then you're unencumbered by the pressures of the world because you know you can do your research without worrying about your job next year. And I think it filters on a certain personality type um, that may then have trouble with the concept of, yeah, I want to start a company, but wait a second, am I going to leave my tenured position? Yeah. You never really hear of people leaving. They take a leave of absence, but they never like go all in and do something new. No, and I think maybe it's about the risk. Maybe it's, you know, I'm having lunch today with a buddy of mine who was a technologist. He had been, we'd, I'd been his attorney. Uh, he had stopped out of his, pro, his PhD program to do it, but it turns out his PhD program was in philosophy. And then the internet bubble crashed, and he went back to Stanford and got his PhD in philosophy. And he's a, and he's a philosophy professor. And I hope actually your daughter will take his class because he's awesome. But I've talked with him about this. Like you know, you have this big push, and you do a bunch of stuff to get tenure. Well, think about it, right? Once you get tenure, then you're done. Like, what's the incentive, right? What's the? It's like being president when you're forty. Whatever. How old is Obama? Yeah. Right. What do you do next? You wander around and go, oh. Does he want to like go be a congressman? No. <laughs> yeah, he can't. Right, exactly. No. no, and you know, he's you almost a short man. Go to library. Yeah, he's not going to be the CEO of a company, although that would be super interesting. Like, can you imagine? Maybe he the wants former to start a president company. starts a company. You know? No, I mean it's a one million for twenty percent. <laughs> Do you think the president could demand more than a three million pre? <laughs> Whatever. Guess that's a four million pre. Good bad. Good math. Uh, you know, uh, four million pre. Depends on the idea. Yeah. Anyway, I mean, it's just a tricky thing because I think that often professors are risk averse, and so you go, you get this exciting idea, they get started, you fund them, and then some of them say, "I'm going back." You know, I'm well, going back. When it gets I'm going hard. back, right? And it always gets hard. And it always gets hard. Oh my god, it always gets hard. It doesn't matter. You know, it's it's interesting. I think it's a, I think it's a tricky. Um, I don't have data on the, on companies that have been come out with professors running them. I know when I was in college, I had a professor who had left and come back and built a a piece of software that told, he was really into sailing, and he built a piece of software that told, based on the sail design, where to put the battens or the stiffeners and the sails, (laughs) and every racing company, every racing company building sails and boats and whatever licensed from him, and he was rich. That was it. And, that, and he went back to school. He's like, yeah, I built a piece of software. It optimizes where to put the things in the sales, and now I'm rich. <laughs> and I'm working, and he's back at college, and he's teaching classes, and he wore really nice clothes and had a fancy Jaguar. Yeah, I mean, I had a professor my in my computer music degree. The guy who started the program invented FM synthesis, which doesn't mean anything to anybody listening to this, but it turns out that FM synthesis was the basis of all of 80s pop. It turns out that... Yamaha licensed this process, created the DX7, which was the synthesizer that kind of changed the Did sound of pop music. That? So what I don't know, I do know that Stanford made a ton of money from that. Stan- it was, for a, for a period of time, the second most valuable patent ever at Stanford. And I don't know if the Google patents ended up being more valuable or less, but anyway... But I don't think he made money. I don't think that he got wealthy in that process. I think that it was just a Stanford thing because in the end, they just licensed directly from the university because he didn't start a company, right? He didn't say, okay, I'm going to start a synthesizer company and and build it myself. So to a certain degree, you have to be entrepreneurial. You have to go out and say, I'm going to create something. And then you have to negotiate with your university and say, look, if you want me to build this into value, you have to give me 
value, right? You should do this as a video because you you talk with your hands all the time. <laughs> you, you can just describe <laughs> me. Get you like waving your hands and this. And, anyway. I think it's Trip who just told me my partner Trip, our partner Trip, who told me that I bang the table. Or were you telling me that? It must have been Trip. I, it was, yeah, Trip is like, oh, you know, David, you've been or you've been banging the table. No, it was Vivek. Because Vivek notices these things. I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, you'll be making a point and you'll, you know, that's what I... And he's like, you should be aware of that. I'm like... Which means... Yeah, stop, stop it. it. <laughs> it's sort of like when you're playing with your pens and you don't hear it and it's like, Howard? I have, yeah, I, I have this habit of a little pen. I was even doing it today in this meeting and I was unscrewing. Because I'm like, mechanic coach, I was unscrewing it. Oh, that feels nice. And then I screw it back in. And I, but this one isn't squeaky. You have this... There's that one pen that has like the piece that... That's yeah. So anyway, this is a problem with being partners, right? Is like you spend so many time, so much time in the in a in a meetings with each other. It's like David, sit still, stop banging the table, drink, you know, you, you shower more often. <laughs> well, that's just you know. Oh, we were gonna. We, we've had this thing where we've done a shout out we we were going to do it earlier in this conversation but never got to it so we'll maybe in closing we should have a shout out to our friend dj patil who I could, um, first i gotta tell a dj story so i went down and got some coffee in los altos the other day and i had just been stung by a bee and my hand looked like somebody swollen like a grapefruit and my wife was nagging me go to the hospital go to the hospital you're gonna die and dj comes in he goes to shake my hand he goes whoa dude like what happened I said oh, I got a bee sting and he goes oh you, you know you better go to a doctor because like that causes pressure on the nerves and you're like going to lose the, the nerves in your hand you won't be able to use your hand and my wife's like jumping up down, see I told you go to the hospital <laughs> and now I have to go to the hospital and I go there and I tell him and they say I don't know who this DJ is but he sure ain't no doctor <laughs> <laughs> alright so fair enough DJ may not be a doctor but he's a good it, guy and I may, appreciated may, his, 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 his loving he care. was caring he's yes. a caring guy I will say that he is that right like there are a bunch of people in Silicon There are lots of people who claim to be helpful in Silicon Valley, and then there are those who are, right? There are a few people who have reputation, kind of universal reputations as great people who are happy to help out, right? And DJ is totally one of those guys. So, you know, we first met DJ back when he was, I think, the chief data scientist at eBay. And someone had recommended him to, to me to come to our very first lobby conference. This is now, you know, we invited him, what, nine years ago or something. And he came to that conference. He's an, and he's just a wonderful guy. He's extremely positive, incredibly smart, all this stuff. So he did that eBay thing. Then he went to LinkedIn. He was, you know, put, played a big, important role at LinkedIn. Um, and most recently was the, I guess, head of product at Relate IQ, which was in, really interesting company, lots of excitement around it, and it just got bought uh, by Salesforce, which I think is very impressive of Salesforce. It's pretty forward-looking. They paid a big price for a company that has a v- small revenue line, maybe no revenue line. Um, but it's a great, you know, but but man, if I was Salesforce and I got to have DJ, I'd be pretty psyched about it. So, um Anyway, so shout out to DJ, who may be a crappy doctor, but he's an awesome entrepreneur and he's a total giver and a, and a mensch. And um, we appreciate every you, we appreciate you taking our calls. And thank you for caring. <laughs> thank you for caring for Howard's hand, even if you were completely wrong. He totally could have just left it a giant baseball grapefruit sized hand. It was no problem. Anyway. There you have it. There you have another it. Fri- another use- great Friday spent chatting. Um, 
Thanks for listening. This is David Hornick from August Capital. And Howard Harden from August Capital. Until next time. Talk to you later. Later.